that temporary needs to come all the way through treatment with you. You don't want to temporary, next visit, take it off, break it, make a new one. And that's sort of what happens with Bizacryl. It's on, break, to get off, I'll make a new one quickly. So you're taking two steps forward, one step back. So if I spend the time and invest the money in getting good temporaries with shells up front, those temporaries, because they're acrylic as well, acrylic relines and modifies it's much better than Bizacryl. Welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals. Join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry, clinical tips, continuing education, and adding value to your life and career. With your host, Jazz Gulati. Hello, Protrusivati. I'm Jazz Gulati, and welcome back to the Protrusive Dental Podcast. If you follow me on the socials, you'll have seen that I've been quite busy these last few weeks. In fact, the whole of last week, I was non-clinical because I took some time off for my brother-in-law's wedding. Now, this is the same brother-in-law who you saw in that famous, it's become pretty famous now, the IPR video I made. So I, I did this whole experiment using different types of IPR, burrs, an oscillating handpiece, discs, etc. Uh, and that got greatly received on, on YouTube and all the platforms uh, as a helpful aid. Now, if you haven't seen that yet, just Google search for IPR ultimate review video. You will find it. It's like number one on Google at the moment. Uh, and in that video, my guinea pig patient was my brother-in-law and there we are. He got married. I was his dentist. I was proud. And also his wife. I whitened her teeth and they both had wonderful smiles uh, and it made me really happy. But I was experiencing a different type of stress. Now, usually it's clinical stress. This was non-clinical stress. What I mean by that is this was life. The thing I was stressed about was having to do a performance on the wedding reception and actually at that wedding reception 700 people in attendance and me and my wife were like hosting it and going around make sure everyone had their seats okay food and drink so it was a really big affair and uh, lots of stress but it went well performance went down really good we streamed it live on Instagram actually so you can follow at Jazzy Gulati that's my personal account if you want to catch our, our little Bollywood dance I had also booked out a Spider-Man for, for the kids so I kept Ishan my son busy so it's been a pretty eventful week and I kind of feel like I need a week off just to recover from the wedding. But hey-ho, life goes on and tomorrow I'm back to work clinically and now it's 11 p.m. at night. Uh, my son is asleep and I'm able to record this intro to a phenomenal episode with a quite remarkable condition. Guys, you will listen today to Basil Mizrahi. Dr. Basil Mizrahi is one of the most famous dentists in the world. He is known for really high-end comprehensive dentistry. He's a wonderful educator, just a great all-round clinician. So it's an absolute honor to have him on the show. I'm looking forward to demystifying a kind of confusing topic when, when you're starting out with this stuff. It's called shell crowns. And you may be wondering, okay, what is a shell crown? So if you don't know what a shell crown is, essentially, instead of doing the crowns the usual way, i.e. you take a putty and then you prep the tooth and then you fill the putty with the bisacryl and then you put it on the on, in the mouth. By doing a shell crown, the lab have already sent you the temporary crown and you haven't even prepared the teeth yet. So you're thinking, well, how are you going to fit this crown on if the technician wasn't able to, to fit it on the model? Well, the technician sends you these ultra thin shell crowns, like eggshell thin. And then once you do the prep, the shell crown will sit on your prep and it'll be really loose, right? It's not going to be falling off. It's not going to be staying on because now there's too much air inside. So what you do then is you reline it with acrylic and you'll hear more about the protocol and how to do it, when to do it, the A to Z of shell crowns being covered today. And then essentially you have a lab made crown that was relined chair side. So there's lots of advantages to of doing this and we'll discuss all about the nitty gritty details of techniques and I think this episode had so many gems that just like we did for the episode with Dr. Ed McLaren on ceramics, which was really popular, and the infographic we made for that was downloaded over a thousand times. So for this episode as well, we're summarizing this entire episode because there's a lot of details that in case you're multitasking, you might miss it and there's lots of like good juice in here. So we made this infographic that you can download as like once you've listened to this episode or watched this episode, you'll have a nice little like a revision, if you like, uh, and all the key details are on there. So if you want to check that out, as well as any of the infographics I've made in the past, I made a brand new page. It's called protrusive.link. So protrusive.link. If you visit protrusive.link on your, on your browser, it'll take this page and you just scroll down a little bit you'll see infographic section and you'll be able to access all of them from there. 
As for the protrusive dental pearl, it's only right that I share with you a pearl that is relevant to temporary crowns. So sometimes, and it's happened to me loads of times, and it may have happened to you, is you're seating your chair side made, you know, your bisacryl, your pro temp, integrity, you know, pick your poison. You're seating your temporary crown, uh, and then you try and place it, you feel a bit of resistance, you get the patient to bite together, and then now that temporary crown has cracked. So that often happens because of uh, impurities, porosities, it wasn't made the right way, it had an air bubble inside, but sometimes because there's not enough space inside for cement. So the cement, it could be too thick, and then as you seat the temporary crown, it just splits it apart, and you see that temporary cement ooze out of the crack. Uh, and so, that, you know, you have to do the whole thing again. So one way to prevent it, if you feel as though there's just it's just too tight and there's not enough space for the cement, and you worry that the cement's gonna split the temporary crown. And this tip is, uh, by the way, from Dr. Salman Piramahamid's Instagram, and his Instagram handle is at Dental Story. Now, Salman, he did episode 97, about Facebo, so do check that out. And he's coming on again soon for Reservoir and Bridges. We have recorded already. We're going to bring it out soon in the content calendar. But the tip is to, instead of just accepting it and, and playing roulette and then thinking, okay, which ones are going to crack, which ones aren't, what you could do is the inside or the intaglio surface of that temporary crown, you can get like a coarse diamond burr, something like a rugby ball shape. And on the inside, just start drilling and hollowing out just a tiny bit hollowing out the inside of this temporary crown so that now the temporary cement has space to flow and exit and it's not going to build up all this pressure that's going to break your temporary crown. So if in doubt and if you worry, maybe it's happened once and you're going to make a new one and you're thinking, okay, how do I prevent this from happening again? Then you can hollow out the temporary crown to make space for the cement. So thanks Salman for that tip and I look forward to presenting the RBB episode for everyone with yourself. Now let's check out the main episode with Dr. Basil Mizrahi. This episode was aired live on Facebook, so there's the odd shout out here and there, so do excuse that. But this it's just absolutely gem-packed. I can't wait to share it with you. I know you'll gain so much value from this. And remember, go to protrusive.link to check out the full page summary. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this very rare live Protrusive Dental Podcast. It's great to have you guys on. We've got none other than Dr. Basil Mizrahi. Basil, thank you so much for making time for us today. Hey, Jazz. Hi, everybody out there. Looking forward to this. It'll be a really tangible, very uh, wet-fingered sort of episode. I, I told Basil, I promised Basil that while we are waiting, hello, Cosmin, while we are waiting for people to join today, that I would tell Basil and, and you all uh, a very interesting thing that you may have never considered uh, about Sikhs who, has, who wear turbans and something you can tell about me just by looking at me and the position of my turban. So you can see the apex of my turban, right? So it's like an apex right here. Uh, and by, by Monday, it's like the turban's really low because I'm, I'm fresh, I'm full of energy, right? And then as the, the day goes by, as the week goes to the end, the turban gets higher and higher and higher. The, it's, I change my turban every day, but the point is I just get more exhausted. And when I'm exhausted, the turban just gets loose and it, it rides higher. So if ever you see me and my turban's really high, you say, Jazz, just, just go to sleep, man. Uh, let, let's not do this anymore. So you can see it's getting to that point where I might start revealing like my, my hairline uh, <laughs> if, if I get any more tired. So interesting fun fact to you. It is so amazing to have you on. I was, uh, guys, before we hit record button before we went live I was just telling how I was telling Basil if I even become half the dentist he is uh, in, in my career that'd be the best thing ever and then what did you you said something really beautiful what did you say you know be half the dentist I'm you want to be the full dentist you are that's so special I love that well please uh, tell us Basil for the few people who, are, who might be there maybe like literally they qualified yesterday which could, could have happened because it's June right so they qualified yesterday and, and they entered this big bad world of dentistry and they haven't quite seen your, your amazing work and what you do just give us a, that little introduction if you don't mind You'll hear from my accent, South African. So I did my dentistry in South Africa, uh, worked for about four years, got bitten by the specialization bug. In my days, we'd never had guys like you giving all the content out on social media. There weren't courses that you could do. So I went to, you had to go specialize. I'm talking 22 years ago. So I went over to the States um, and I did my prosto and implant training there for three years in New Orleans with a guy called uh, wow. Gerard Sheesh, a great guy. If any of you have ever read his book, uh, if you haven't, I highly recommend it. He was one of the forefathers of aesthetic dentistry and a lovely person. And then I had the decision, do I stay in the States or do I come to the UK? Um, I licensed in the States, ended up coming to the UK for family decisions. My family had come over from South Africa. So about 21 years ago, I set up a squat practice in uh, Harley Street. I just kept it cheap and cheerful, rented a little room with a basic chair and a brown oil-stained carpet and a desk. And I had a 
nurse who was my secretary and receptionist and all in one everything. And gradually over time, uh, built up the practice that I have today. Still small, it's still me, and I have I work with Yugita, my associate. Um, but it's a very small volume practice. I've always said uh, small volume, high quality. That's sort of my little niche. Um, just very personal. Maybe three patients a day on a busy day. <laughs> Well, you're about you're all about comprehensive, uh, detailed dentistry. I've seen yeah. some of your webinars and how you walk the uh, the patient. And what I love about your webinars, Basil, and guys, if you ever get a chance to go on one of the Basil webinars or live courses, Basil's really good on teaching communication. Like, how do you actually discuss comprehensive dentistry with patients? Which is a real plus point with Basil. It's not just showing the beautiful dentistry. It's about okay, what is the diagnostic element and the talk that goes behind it? Uh, one question I had, Basil, if you don't mind, is any regrets? Now, you, do you sometimes think I wish I was in LA or uh, something like that, like in US? Like, do you ever have that feeling? I mean, I you know I don't imagine you do, but do you ever that, that little voice inside of you? I'm uh, not dental-wise. I think uh, career career-wise, the UK or London specifically. I'm very fortunate that I've managed to carve out the kind of practice I have because it's quite rare that you have a full referral prosthodontic practice which I'm fortunate to have that about 95% of my patients are all referral which is rare here and in the States. I think coming here with an American degree whether realistically or not put me on a little bit of a pedestal in the beginning and so I was sort of a big fish in a small sea here whereas in the States I would have been a small fish in a big sea. I don't know how it would have turned out. Hopefully, I would have turned out the same, but I've got no regrets from a practice point of view. Lifestyle, I don't know, you could say South Africa, America, but I always say to people, just choose. You know, people say, where should I practice? I'm specializing, where should I go? I say, just go where you want to live and the dentistry will follow. Brilliant advice. And uh, speaking of all over the world, people from Pedro from Portugal today, we have uh, Tom from Ireland, Alex from Peterborough, we have Shabana from Malawi, We've got Sarah from Sunnyside. So we've got a nice little international uh, audience today. So guys, you're here for Shell Crowns. You're here for Basil Mazzara. You're here for Shell Crowns. Before we actually touch on Shell Crowns, just a minute on the following. I want to know, does Basil Mazrahi still do the bog standard temporary crown? You take your putty or your alginate or whatever, uh, and then you, you prep the tooth, uh, and then you put your bisacryl inside, your pro temp, your integrity, whatever, and you plonk it back on, and you trim it. Do you, is there still a place in your practice for, for this kind of work? If you're asking me personally, I don't use Bizacryl, not because it's bad. And the first thing I say whenever I give a course is don't throw out your Bizacryl because it's a good material and it's got a good indication. I don't use it because I grew up on acrylic. I've got used to it. But I know I'm the first one to tell you that don't create complications when you don't have to. So for a single tooth, Bizacryl is cheap. Well, not cheap, but easy to use and efficient. So if you try to make a single acrylic crown, you'll be there for 35 minutes where you can push one out with Bizacryl in five minutes. So I say, always say, look at the criteria, what you're looking for. If Bizacryl can give you what you need from the temporary on that specific case. Well, it was that mentality, uh, Basil, because you, you, you'd said that before on a webinar, I remember listening. Uh, and then that inspired me in 2016 to do my first onlay and then decided based on being inspired by you to use acrylic for my, I was using trim, Bosworth trim to make uh, an Emacs onlay temporary out of acrylic, and I, I, I made such a mess of it, I then quickly got the, get the physical out. Let me just fix it, right? And what I didn't do, stupidly, was that once I had the putty inside with the uh, acrylic on my prep, okay, I didn't do that really important thing to remove, insert, remove, insert, remove, insert, to get that path of draw. I just let it lock in, and that was a shambles. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that today in these nitty-gritty details. But so tell us, you obviously... Um, have been using acrylic, you're comfortable with acrylic, and that's a good reason to, to do what you do in your practice. When it comes to shell crowns, what are the indications? So actually, let's take it one step back further. What is a basic, what is a shell crown for the dentist listening out there? So a shell crown is like those director crowns you get from Shine or Dental Director, just a hollow piece of temporary crown that looks like a tooth. It's customized by your lab. So you get back a shell, and then you reline it. So what it does, it saves you having to use a matrix because when you use a matrix, you can't see what's going on under the matrix. It's a layer putty or it's alginate. So you have, you're not, you know, especially with multiple teeth, you can't really see what's going on. So the timing is difficult. Firstly, you've got a soft piece of material, then you're sliding it up and down and it's difficult to get the timing right. So a shell takes you halfway to where you want to get because you've already got the backbone you don't have to work under a matrix. So you 
you have a hard backbone that you can grab with your fingers without worrying that you're squashing or distorting it. So it's just a hybrid between, it's not a full, what I call laboratory provisional, which is when you take an impression and the technician makes a temporary that literally comes off the model onto the tooth. This is a hybrid between chair side and a little bit of help from your technician. So that's essentially sure. what a shell now, crown when, is. When you started to, to use it and started to work with labs or when uh, dentists may be inspired today and maybe go on your course and learn more about this or, or read up on it and then they, they want to use it in practice and then when they start liaising with their technician, do you think most technicians are, are well versed with this is my first question. And my second question leading on from that is traditionally I imagine what you would have to do is the lab would have the model and then they would prep by hand on the model and then make it. But now with digital, I imagine that's very different. So uh, firstly, technician experience and also has anything changed from the traditional techniques digitally? I'm sure there's clever ways to do that now. To be honest, yeah, digitally you can do it, but I think analog still actually works better because you're going to have a study model or a scan model anyway. So the technicians, they have ways of doing it. I personally don't mind how they get it to me. So I'm not too worried if your technician has a way of doing it digitally let them do it essentially you want to be very thin and but the indication just going back to one of your questions you got to understand where you need to use shells because firstly shells are biased towards acrylic so i use shells because i use acrylic which has pushed me in to that area so when would i use shells i wouldn't i would probably need a shell more than anybody using bisacryl because the reason i use a lot of shells more shells than you guys using Bizacryl is because my aesthetics on my acrylic is horrible compared to your Bizacryl. Your Bizacryl looks much nicer. I have dark, medium, and light in acrylics. So if I'm doing two front teeth, you may see in some of my lectures, I use a shell. Whereas if you were doing Bizacryl, you would say, Basil, what are you using a shell for? One of the main reasons there would just be almost pure aesthetics because the technicians can get me much better aesthetics with acrylic in a lab, then I can get chair side. They will use their enamel shells and they can give me a thin shell of enamel and then I reline it with my ugly yellow, but then it actually comes out quite nice. If you're using Bizacryl, you probably wouldn't need a shell there. So that's why I keep saying work, don't do shell because Basil Mizrahi does shells. Look at your limitation and say, actually, could I do this with Bizacryl? Yeah, I don't need a shell. So where I use shells is if I got, and where I think everybody can benefit from shells is if you've got four or six anterior teeth. I often don't use shells on the back because, again, for aesthetic reasons, on back teeth, there's no real benefit to using a shell. If my temps come out a little bit dark or light, it's not the end of the world. But on anterior teeth, I want nice, I want nice morphology and I want good aesthetics and I want ease of handling. If I've got six preps and then I've got to start, whether it's bisacryl or acrylic, Taking a putty matrix, working blindly, lifting it on and off. It's messy. It can be toxic to the teeth underneath. Another reason why with acrylic, I have to be a bit more careful than bisacryl. It's more toxic. It gives off more heat. It shrinks more. So the last thing I want is to fill a putty matrix or an alginate matrix full of acrylic on six anterior teeth and worry about heat, parallelism. So the shell takes gets me a lot of the way there. And then there's still a good... 45, a lot of people think, oh, you're doing a shell. Okay, reline it and it's done. I always say when I'm prepping and fitting temporaries, it's 50% prep, 50% temporary time-wise of the appointment. So if my appointment's two hours, one hour is getting the old crowns off or prepping the teeth relatively roughly, not taking them to the end, and one hour to get those temps because that temporary appointment is the make or break. It's the first time or often where you're, where your patient is getting to know you. You've talked the talk and told them how good you are and showed them all your pictures. Now you've got them in the chair. It's a big step. You're taking the old crowns off, which often are quite decent, and they got to walk out that surgery, not with yellow, ugly temps, which are sensitive and falling off. They want to walk out with teeth, whether they're bisacryl or acrylic, that look good, and that takes all the pressure off your time-wise. So that's a make-or-break appointment. So you never short-sell yourself on that at that first appointment because that's when the putty what's when the patient buys into you and then eases up and becomes putty in your hands to carry out the more comprehensive dentistry so 
food for thought for us because we, we, you know the way we're doing it in the real world is we've got that two-hour appointment, we're doing two hours of preps, uh, and then we're running late that extra five minutes to quickly do our <laughs> bizacrals. But it'll be you know I, I, I totally agree uh, with everything you said. And where I am in my journey with shells uh, is using it more and more in the last couple of years as I'm slowly incrementally becoming more and more comprehensive, moving beyond single tooth, doing a few full mouths now uh, to save me time, but. At the same time, I am doing lots of um, polishing, finishing. I do a lot of vertical preparations at the moment, so really important to get the gingiva level where I want it. So I do spend a lot of time with that. I initially made a mistake, and I think this is a mistake, and I one of the questions I want to ask you, Basil, is can you reline a shell, an acrylic shell from the lab with bisacryl. A, why would you want to? Because I, I did that and I was like, why am I doing this? I should just skill up and learn acrylic. But any reason in why a dentist should not or cannot, I'm sure there are a few. Yeah, you want to reline it with acrylic because one of the nice properties with acrylic, if you're doing a shell, you'll probably be working on four, five or six teeth. So you need it to go through a long doughy stage. Acrylic has a much longer doughy stage and it gives you the time to slowly work that shell up and down. Visacryl is basically composite and it sets rigidly. So you want to, the acrylic gives you the chance to move it to, it goes through a longer setting time. It takes longer to work. And then also you want that flexibility when you've got the shell. Another reason and I'm why you want, why I use acrylic in comprehensive cases, because when you're doing single tooth dentistry, the temporary is on and then it's off and the crown's fitted. So it's short, it's a stopgap between impression and fitting. When you do more comprehensive, you can't squash everything into two hours, okay? You want to be able, but that temporary needs to come all the way through treatment with you. You don't want to temporary, next visit, take it off, break it, make a new one. And that's sort of what happens with Bizacryl. It's on, break to get off, I'll make a new one quickly. So you're taking two steps forward, one step back. So if I spend the time and invest the money in getting good temporaries with shells up front, those temporaries, because they're acrylic as well, acrylic relines and modifies it's much better than Bizacryl. So if I remarginate, if I drop a margin, I can remarginate. So that's another reason why I wouldn't want to reline. I said it once and people are like, well, what's remargination? Just explain that a little bit. Okay, so you get relining where you take a shell and you fill the whole shell with acrylic and shove it over the tooth. That's relining. You may do that, the f you need to do that the first time you get a shell or shells. Subsequently, remember I said you don't always get, most times I don't get to the end of the prep on day one because you run out of time. There's, you want to just have enough time to get temporaries on. As you modify your preps and at subsequent visits, then you're only really worried about the margin. I don't care that the inside of the shell of my temp is not fitting or I've, I've reduced the incisal edge or I've reduced the labial edge and now do I have to reline the temporary every time I modify the actual prep? The answer is no. When I modify the margin, you want to remarginate. So what you do, you paint a little bit around the margin on the tooth, not in the temporary, because if you reline, every time you reline, the temporary just gets longer and longer and longer. So you, again, on day one, you've made your nice shells, patient comes back, you say, okay, I'm gonna reline, put it up, refill everything with acrylic, your temporary won't seat all the way, and you have then the incisal edges drop. So remargination is really the important part. Once you've relined at subsequent visits, most times I'm just remarginating. Yes, if you change a whole, if you fit a post or you change something on side of the tooth, then you'll reline. But if you're changing a margin and you've just done minor modifications to the tooth prep, don't reline, just focus on the margin. I'm gonna ask you a, a question which um, I hope it doesn't offend you, but let's say we're a dentist, we're, we're really running out of time and we, we wanna be all fancy, we've got the, not fancy, but we wanna do the appropriate thing. We've got six, three to three, we've got the shell shell crown. Some of these might be linked, maybe one to three, one to three, whatever. Uh, and then you just realize that your nurse is giving you the looks because it's lunchtime. And then instead of working with acrylic, because you're not experienced with acrylic, you want to use Bizacryl. What I've done before, <laughs> ask me how I know, is air a braid, put some bond, uh, then uh, put some bisacryl. Uh, is there any uh, advice you can give to, to, to make it work in those uh, get out of jail scenarios? What's the problem? What hasn't worked? Let me ask you, what, what went wrong? When yeah. you say make it work. Great point. Yeah. Um, the, the main problem I find is uh, one time I, I did it and then I took it off and parts of the bisacryl on the intaglio inner lining uh, delaminated in certain areas. So it was a larger cement gap in that area for the for the for that patient at that at that time basically. So how can we get a more predictable bond between the bisacryl and the inner lining or intaglio of the acrylic? Okay, so first to answer that directly, don't use bonding agent. Use acrylic monomer. Anytime you want to bond acrylic to bisacryl, use the monomer 
from the acrylic, not the physical bonding agents. I know they all come with bond things. Universal. You want to modify exactly. them. Yeah, just use the monomer, okay? And that'll attack the acrylic and your bisacryl bond better. But you do have a compromised bond between bisacryl and the acrylic. But normally, if, you re if you're filling up, if you're relining a whole acrylic shell, there's enough surface area that it shouldn't pull off. So especially if you, so I would say to use the monomer instead of the bond in the Very good. And then if you are doing it the proper way, as you should do, i.e. relining acrylic shell with acrylic, do you still need to bother with uh, the um, the monomer? And just describe the, the process. You've got yes. your shells back. How do you verify the, that it's uh, seating well and the aesthetics wise and, and that you don't need to prep anymore in any, any areas? How do you verify that? And then how do you seat it? Do you always need a seating jig? Okay. So firstly, whenever you get shells back, from a technician, they're not going to go down. It's one of the hardest things for a technician is to get them thin enough and uh, to go down. So always expect that they will need some adjustment. It doesn't mean you've got a bad technician because I hear this time and time again, oh, I tried shells, I got them back from my technician and they wouldn't seat. That's normal for me as well. Very difficult for a technician to get them. So that's why you do need, and even if you think they're seating, you always want to check the seating, G, because if you've gone to the time and effort to get a nice looking set of shells if your technician's gone to that time and effort and it looks perfect on the model and then sizal edge where it should be the last thing you want is you want to make sure that you copy that exact seating location that the technicians made on the model in the mouth if you don't bother with a seating jig and i'll explain that in a minute there's a very high chance that you think it seats you put it on so okay that's good the technician's done a good job seats okay then you reline it and you trim everything, you spend your half an hour trimming, 40 minutes trimming, and patient smiles, and you've got a cant, or you say, oh, it didn't look like that on the model, this in size, and then you take your Soflex disc, and all the nice work, you have to reduce the labial edge because now it's proclined, and it wasn't proclined on the model, so you end up taking the nice enamel layer off, or it's longer, you take of the incisal translucency the technicians put off, so it is an important step. And do it every time, as much as tempting as it is to shortcut the step. Seating jig-wise, okay. uh, what kind of jigs? The, uh, the last case yeah. I did, uh, I use Essex retainer type jigs. Uh, do you like those, or do you like a putty, or do you like uh, like Duralay jigs? Like, what kind of jigs do you favour? I like a hard two jigs. I will use is either get the technician to just extend the shell onto the adjacent two teeth. So, say you did canine to canine, I'd say go back occlusally on the two premolars on each side. So, and I want it rigid as opposed to putty or to Essex. That's one way where it's actually attached to the shell and you just trim the wings off afterwards. But you want some kind of definite seating. So not tiny little sort of Maryland wing kind of bridge. You want it to go over the actually premolars, a little bit over the buckle and lingual. If I'm not using it, I'll use a separate uh, Duralade jig, which is sort of a separate piece of plastic, which once again engages the premolars and the edges of the shell. I do want to get access to the edges of the shell so that would put me off putty or Essex retainer especially because unless you cut your Essex right back you can't when you reline I do go as soon as I reline I go with some wet monomer and I do what's called welding that joint so you don't see the joint so I need access I reline seat it and then quickly I'm taking my brush of almost pure monomer and getting access to the margins so if I've got an Essex I can't get underneath there so I do like to weld it so you get an invisible that, that joint. That is a, a top tip right there, Basil, because I'm going to relay that back to my technician uh, and, and request the way that you do it so that I can have that uh, effect. So you, uh, this is uh, the news to me. This is new to me. Again, uh, I'm, I'm not very experienced in shells. Uh, I'm learning as much as everyone else is. So it's great to have this tip. So when you dip the brush in the monomer and then you sort of paint around the margin and that blends the shell crown, the, the recently relined shell crown, into the tooth. Is that right? No, you don't want to dilute it too much. It blends the new reline material with the Got existing it. shell. So you don't get sort of a stark join. It's just to, and another tip, you should always sandblast your shells when on the outside, not only the inside, on the outside, around the margin, because you want that new acrylic to bond. So I would sandblast, paint it with monomer, then reline, and then be careful when you take your wet brush of monomer, you, acrylic is a messy material you don't want to work neat so a lot of people are tempted like your old physical to quickly wipe off all the excess so it's a nice neat shell you do that with acrylic all you're doing is diluting that margin where you've added so it'll never set it becomes doughy you take it on and off and it looks flowery and that's why acrylics get that bad name very technique sensitive but don't over dilute so i'm, I'm painting but not to wipe off all the excess 
I'm painting to blend slightly. Top tip right there, guys. I'm just saying that we're approaching that uh, point where I will be doing the questions, basically. So we're almost there. We know what a shell crown is now. We know when is a good idea to use a, uh, these shells instead of using uh, bisacryl, um, like the standard way that we do it. Uh, we discussed a little bit about the technique and the protocol. We talked a little bit about jigs, which is important. Uh, how to condition the intaglio surface. So we put the monomer. A really great tip shared by Basil, in case you missed it, was air abrasion inside and outside to allow the acrylic to, to stick. Uh, and we also know Basil's favorite type of seating jig. So we've covered all the important questions I wanted to ask. Um, anything you want to add, Basil, before we now start taking questions from the Petrucerati? Just one thing, doing shell crowns, you should become familiar with acrylic before. A shell crown is a relatively advanced technique. So it's not something you want to jump into before you sort of quite comfortable in turning out a single acrylic crown, not just you ever do it. I've been there and I've locked it and it's messy. I definitely okay. go on a course or learn more, you could, not just yeah. from this podcast, to take consideration of that. Yeah, so get familiar with acrylic first, make sure you can stamp out an acrylic single crown, even if you don't think I'm ever gonna do it, but you need just to get comfortable with acrylic, otherwise you will run into problems and give yourself a lot of time if you do wanna try just like any new technique, add on another hour to the appointment. It's not a shortcut, it's a long cut. Very good, and um, uh, the reason I'm more familiar with acrylic, I was happy to advance to shell crowns is because I do a lot of FOSC splints, basically, the flexi-orthotic system. They, you know, use the acrylic to reline the intaglio, so these direct splints, so I got very okay. happy working the acrylic. Even three years ago, I got one locked in someone's mouth, so I know that how that room smells when, when you have to cut all this off. So, yeah, I made, I've been there, I've made my mistakes, so I'm much happier with acrylics. And one last question I've got to ask you, just for the young dentist to, to, to realize, because a lot of young dentists, I, I say to them, okay, this patient will be in temporaries now for six months or nine months, whatever, and their jaw drops. Like, wait, isn't a temporary supposed to be there for two weeks? So just give perspective. When you're doing these shell crowns, what's the longest they've ever been in someone's mouth until they come back for their definitives? Be careful. You don't want to leave any temporary in for too long a time, whether it's shell temps or good temps. So I won't let them go for longer than two or three months, probably. Don't forget, when you're doing these temps, you normally, in a comprehensive case, you're doing other stuff. There's, you would never just put temps in also, people get confused and say, well, okay, so I do the temps. Now I'm going to leave them for six months. There's got to be a reason for everything you're doing. So I'm not sure what the reason would be. I would never leave temps in just for six months because for the sake of I'm trying to get the tissues healthy. That can happen in four to six weeks. Otherwise, they're coming back you know, every four weeks. I'm doing some endo under the teeth. I'm maybe putting an implant somewhere, but I'm seeing the patients. So those shells, and that's why I use acrylic. Acrylic lets you take the shells on and off without breaking putting them back so so they may be in the mouth for six months but i'm not leaving a patient un, unsupervised for six months because that's asking for problems and if you are going to leave them use polycarboxylate if for any reason you think they're not coming back or just be safe and you may have to do a little bit of cutting but otherwise go with polycarboxylate otherwise ten, i use tampon for 99 percent of my cases because i'm seeing the patient throughout treatment but if for any period for any reason it's going to be over like two or three months. Just play it safe and go. So a good polycarb. brand of uh, polycarb will be Duralon. Uh, is a good one. Polyf uh, is another uh, brand. You don't, no. you don't like Duralon? Okay. No, no, Duralon. I, was just, I was giving I brand names of, 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 in case someone's like, I don't know what polycarb is. So you don't like Duralon? I didn't know that. So tell us why you don't like Duralon and what do you like instead? Duralon, I just can't get on. The, the reality, the, the irony is, I like the cheapest and cheerfulest polycarb from Henry Shine because <laughs> it's, it's water based. Okay. Anything else? I'll, uh, anything else, impression materials, I say go for. Are you, you know, Indian in disguise? <laughs> but this is for temporaries. <laughs> Jewish. <laughs> same, same blood. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, that's that's good to know. But, um, um, so yeah, long term attempts. You you, no, you know, don't that, use so. if you look, if you if you if your preps look like Basil's. Yeah, you can use tampon. Yeah, I hate tampon because my preps don't look like uh, Basil's, and that's why when I use tampon, bad things happen. Can you just tell everyone how they can learn more from you? I want to know all about your courses, your webinars. You did a wonderful series uh, during lockdown. I saw as well. Uh, please tell us more about how we can learn more about these techniques from you. Yeah, I mean we do four acrylics. It is a big learning curve and the only way you can learn, it's one of the things I don't think you can do online because you've got to get your fingers wet. So we do a three day, I do a 15 day course on comprehensive dentistry and three of those days is intense temporary, just working with acrylics, doing onlays, crowns, bridges, shells, and we do veneer temps. Just a quick thing with veneer temps, I don't use acrylics, so be careful. Veneer temps is bizacryl. Crown and bridge, traditional. Acrylic is conducive to traditional mechanical dentistry. So even onlays, you mentioned onlays, that would probably be the last thing that needs acrylic because there's no advantage putting an acrylic temporary on an onlay. 
So they're you know, busy crawling. You've got to look where your temporaries, your usual temporaries aren't giving you what you need. Subgingival margins, acrylic's better. Long time in the mouth, acrylic's better. On and off, acrylic's better. Otherwise, stick with the busy crawl. So yes, we do a, probably one of the only courses where we actually teach a lot of acrylics because it has got a niche. It's not for your well, everyday well, well, dentistry, course. your single tooth dentistry. Yeah. But when you want to progress to comprehensive, I don't think that bisacryl is as good in uses as, as the acrylic. So that's where the acrylic comes into its own in more comprehensive cases. But for single tooth dentistry, bisacryl is What's the, What's the website? Is it your just your type in Basil Mizrahi in Google and find your courses or? Yeah, type in Basil Mizrahi or Mizrahi Dental Teaching. Excellent. Uh, and uh, I think, so are you doing Tubules Congress this year? No, I'm not. Okay. I'll probably be there. Oh, um, amazing. Oh, it, but it'd be, it'd be nice to catch up, guys. Uh, uh, I, I heard uh, great things about the one that you did recently. Uh, when I mentioned earlier about the, many years ago doing an onlay and messing it up because it was a, a neutral acrylic, it was the reason I did it in acrylic was to actually just get some experience. I had a bit of time, so let me let me play with this acrylic stuff, you know? So th that was uh, for, for that time. Right, so we got a question uh, from Jean Marco, a very loyal Patricerati. Just before remarginating, can you use another material, e.g. Vaseline, to aid cleanup or acrylic from surfaces you don't want acrylic additive? So how can you actually make sure that your remargination of acrylic goes where you want it to go? So I'm not sure if you mean on the actual shell. I don't really use Vaseline. You could, you know, if you don't want the reline material to go all over the front of the shell that the technicians made nice for you, you could use a little bit of Vaseline. On the actual teeth, I never use Vaseline because saliva is normally good enough. If you've got a composite core, that's the only time I would or would use Vaseline because your acrylic will bond to it. But on a normal tooth, um, saliva is is normally good enough as a lubricant, so I generally don't use, use Vaseline. What about when you've uh, when you're happy with your relined shell crown, and then a few weeks later you then refine the margin? You're only because you're really happy with everything else. You only want the acrylic to remarginate at the marginal area and you don't really want it to run up and become uh, become messy on the labial surface. Is that just you being good with your control of the material or is there a place for Vaseline there? Well, there's different ways of, of using acrylic. So if I'm just looking to remarginate a little area, say the labial margin that's dropped, and then I may use the powder liquid technique, which is just lifting up the shell and just putting a bit of powder liquid under the margin, then shoving. You don't want to reline, remarginate on the shell on the i always put the material on the tooth because otherwise you, the less material that goes up inside the shell the better so but most times if i'm remarginating i'll cut back and it is a little bit messy there's a lot of chair side that's another thing with acrylic you have to be get comfortable working chair side so half the time when i say to a patient i need two hours and i will they'll say oh wow i'm going to say half the time you're going to have your mouth open i'll be in there the other half i'm working next to the chair so there is a lot of chair side elbow grease needed for acrylics, much, much more than Visacryl. And that's another big paradigm that, that delegates on the course sort of can't get their head around because Visacryl sort of goes on and off and you get a good copy. Acrylic shrinks. When you add to it, it's messy. It has to set hard. You can't neaten it up. So it sets hard in excess. Then you've got to sit there cutting it back again. So it's a good material, but it, you need to see the benefit. Why am I doing this? And if you can't, you're overcomplicating your life. So that's what we teach in the course, where you see, okay, I can't get this from Visacryl. This is where I need my acrylic, not let me do acrylic. For Brilliant, you. thank you. And uh, Michael Davies has asked, uh, and the reason I brought up that photo of the uh, fit checker is, for posterior shells, do you use fit checker? And two, is there any difference in technique compared to uh, anterior shell reline? So, uh, difference between anterior relining and posterior relining was the second question. But let's, let's hit the first question. This is a photo of me using fit checker for when that time I got some shells back which were just way too thick. My, my, my preps were very minimal because I was making working with vertical margins. So I had to go back and really make them thin them out. And then they were still binding somewhere. So then I used a GC fit checker to see, okay, where is it binding? Colored it up with indelible pencil, made it thin, end up perforating certain areas. There we are. So do you use fit checker, Basil? I use a fit checking technique. I just use a light body impression material. Okay. So I'll squirt it up and when I've got my seating jig. And the same as you, I'll mark it through there. So, um, yeah, you were using the Essex. That's where you were no, using the, the No, that Essex. was, um, the, the, the jig was separate like the, on Essex the inner lining. Oh, was it in, in the Essex? Okay, that was a soft one. Yeah, you're right. That was a yeah, soft, was that was a Essex. soft uh, uh, seating at that, that particular time. But yeah, it was where to figure out just where it was binding and then to thin it out in that area to allow it to seat. So fine, so you used light bodied. And is there a difference between anterior and posterior relining te technique of shells? 
Not really. As I say, often posteriors, I'll, I will just use a matrix because there's much more leeway that doesn't have to look great. And if you hoover out half, half the occlusal surface just to get it rough and ready, doesn't, you're not messing in size or edge. So you can be uh, more forgiving. If you are going to use a posterior shell, I won't use a seating jig because if I get the seating slightly wrong, it just means when a patient bites at the end, I have to hoover off a bit more occlusal surface on a molar, which is not the end of the world. I just don't want to do that and mess up aesthetics. So in the back teeth, I may get a jig, I may get a shell temp, but I'm not going to mess around with jigs. I, lo I love that you said that you, you have to hoover off the occlusal. I, I love that Basil says that. Tom Murphy, hi Tom. Uh, he says, okay, I will typically have a wax up done prior to preps. Fine, that's good. And use this for physical temporaries and transfer this into PMMA temporaries one week later. Okay, outside of that first week's aesthetics, what are the additional benefits of the shell temps over lab-made PMA temps? Okay, so he's going from Bizacryl, but he's taking impressions that day to get lab-made PMA temps. So is there any benefit of doing uh, the shell temps and not going for lab-made acrylic provisionals? I like to get the shell temps, I like to take them a long way through the case before I go to lab provisionals, which is what you were describing is done the next week. So there are two ways of doing it. You can either put your rough and ready physicals on and move quickly to lab made provisionals, which will look nice and they'll be acrylic. The problem though is in a comprehensive case, you don't want to be messing around and then remarginating and relining. And then when I get to my lab provisionals, I'm quite close to the end of the case because I've bought my, my chair side shells with me all the way through and I've done all the rough and ready stuff, the hollowing out because the temporaries start to look a little bit shoddy after time, after you've hollowed the mouth in a comprehensive case. So there's no real disadvantage. You can do that technique that was described, but you don't want to spend mess up the lab provisional so that by the time you've done all the foundation work, you say to the patient, smile now, let's look at the aesthetics. And the lab provisionals have got extra margins that have been added to and you've chopped in size. And, and so they're looking shoddy. You can't really focus on the aesthetics because one of the main reasons I'll go to lab provisionals is when I'm getting towards the end of the case, I've done all the rough and ready, the implants, the post and cores. Now I want to start focusing on aesthetics. So now I get rid of the shell temps. I've done their purpose and now I'll get the lab because there's nothing lost in translation. When you go from lab provisionals, it comes off the model onto the teeth. There's no reline, there's no adjustments. Don't forget shell temps is a lot lost in translation. Relined, even with jigs and that, there's a lot that never looks the same as it wax up. But yes, you can initially when you're starting out, you, you will move quicker to the lab provisionals. And as you get better chair side, you're able to bring your chair side temporaries longer through the case and then move to lab provision. That will happen in your career and as your skills improve with chair side temporaries. But there's nothing wrong with what they Brilliant. Uh, thanks so much for that question, Tom. Now, you mentioned uh, aesthetic. So we have uh, an aesthetic-based question about shade. So this is from Michael Davies. Hi, Michael. Uh, when relining, do you do anything in particular to match the shade of reline acrylic to a shell? Now, you mentioned you had light, medium, dark. Just tell us more about shade decisions and, and actually get, relining the shells with shade in mind. Well, firstly, when you're doing a shell, there's normally going to be four or six teeth. So the shade is not matching to a single. Uh, I would get the shell always made in enamel, acrylic, generally a enamel shade A102, relatively light. And then I'll reline it. Again, it's four or six teeth, so it's going to look uniform. I'll probably reline it with an A2 or A3, which would be medium, in the dark, medium, light kind of thing. If I'm trying to match a single tooth, sometimes a patient comes in and you need to nail a single tooth temporary, which is pretty hard. Again, there I will use a shell. You guys can use Bizacryl because you're comfortable with it and you get better shade straight away. And if you get the shade wrong, it takes five minutes. Using acrylic, I could never do that chair side. So I'm at a disadvantage in that specific aspect. Uh, so I'll use a shell made in enamel and then I'll reline it with either a light or a medium. Again, if I get it wrong, it sometimes happens I'm in a little bit of trouble. Either the stains can get me, I do sometimes can have to stain. I'd rather come out too light than too dark. And every now and again, you get caught out and you reach for that sort of emergency stain kit and you just tone the temporary down. Excellent. Uh, we've had a really nice wet fingered question here, which I, I like, but there's two facets to this question. Very simple question, like six words. How do you remove shell crowns? Now, do, do you mean, uh, Thule, thank you Thule for the question. Do you mean, how do you remove it once you put the reline material inside uh, and then how do you remove it? Or the patient's had shells in for like, you know, three months and then how do you remove it? So let's tackle both if you don't mind. 
So while you're relining, you, you're using your fingers just to slide up and down because it's doughy acrylic. So that should be relatively easy. I think the question was aimed at, uh, I mentioned that in a comprehensive case, the temporaries are coming on and off every couple of weeks and you don't want them to break. So the question is, well, how do you take these off? That's one of the big advantages of acrylic. I can take all my temporaries off with big aggressive artery forceps and they won't crack because they're acrylic. It has some give. Problem is bisacryl, and now you're starting to see from some of your questions and bells ringing in people's heads, well, I can't do that with bisacryl, and that's what happens. Bisacryl, you grab it with artery forceps, and either it doesn't come off because it's got no give. It's like trying to get a porcelain crown off, and it's just not giving. Or you squeeze a bit harder. Sometimes you break the tooth inside. Or the most often what happens when I say to my delegates, how are you getting your temporaries off? Oh, we're putting a flat plastic <laughs> under the margin or an excavator. You're cracking the temp. So bisacryl are hard to remove. Ideally, you want to take your temps with artery forceps so they don't break. Acrylic is conducive to that. Bisacryl is not that conducive to taking them without breaking because when you squeeze them with artery forceps, it's so rigid, it'll crack, especially if they're thin, like your verti, you were mm -hmm. saying verti, those ones you try to get on and off, you're liable to crack the margins. With acrylic, you've got lots of give in it. It's more elastic, so it doesn't Brilliant. break. Brilliant. Guys, I have time just for two more questions, and that's what we'll take. So uh, we'll take the very last one from Michael. Michael, you're very lucky to get two questions today, and then we'll take Pedro. So uh, Michael's question, again, is... Last question. Uh, sorry, Said, I might not get time for yours. Uh, what burrs do you use in the mouth? So, what burrs do you use in the mouth to adjust the acrylic and get the get it polished back up? So, polishing and making it look pretty after you've done some relining. Well, I would never use. I never say never, but most all the temporary. And that's the beauty of temporary. Is you're working outside the mouth. So, I have a temporary kit on a straight handpiece. Very seldom do I work inside the mouth. I will put them in, look, take them out. So it's different to doing a composite where you're forced to work in the mouth. If I do need to do a little bit of adjustment in the mouth, it's often a soflex disc on an incisal edge. But 99% of the work of temporaries are polishing, the embrasures, all done with that sort of little kit I put together, but outside the mouth. So I don't do much, not the polishing or anything inside the mouth. So it's all outside the mouth, perfect. I will take one more question, because yeah. uh, Saeed is really good. If you're raising the OVD in a comprehensive case and you've prepared multiple posterior units, how would you temporize them? How do you ensure you get the shell temps in the correct position to confirm to the new desired OVD? So essentially where it may not be as conducive to put the jig because there aren't enough teeth for a, a jig. Uh, how do you work that scenario? Well, very seldom would I ever prep and temp a full arch. In most of my cases, I do open the OVD. So I would build up, the, I would do, trying to do too much in one appointment, okay? And you lose quality there, okay? Everything in dentistry, you can't rush. You have to break up. And that's again why I use temporary so much because it allows me to break up the case. So I would never prep and temp a full arch. And I know many people do. I would do the front six, the same I've just described. They would be at the increased vertical dimension. The patient would go away for a week almost got a dial appliance in, not dial, they've got an anterior deprogram, so their jaws relax. And I'll come back, then I'll do the upper right quadrant and I'll do the upper left quadrant. Okay, if I'm worried about space, I may put a bit of composite on the crucial surfaces. Um, so that's the way I would tackle it, increasing OVD, I would do it segmentally. I guess if ever you had to do it that way, again, I ask these really naughty questions. In my mind, one way that you could perhaps work it would be use any teeth that you, as a guide, to rest on that you can, but also maybe the palate to get the lab to extend onto the palate, maybe? Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I have done, yeah, sorry, I, I, now I see the question. Yeah, I, I've, not often, but if, if there aren't any teeth to rest on, you can, the second best is a palate and then cut it off. Perfect, side. Brilliant, so now generally, last question, uh, guys. Uh, so, last question from Pedro. Can you consider a shell crown if it's made by the clinic between appointments. So presuming you have uh, some time between the practice days. Now, I imagine what he means is a scenario where you yourself will prepare the teeth on the models and then make the shells yourself. I, I, do you think that's what he means? Do you think that's what Pedro means? I've got a feeling it may mean you take a, an impression of the preps or before you put your temporary on, then during, before the patient comes back, you make your own temps. Yeah, that's you're making, you're being your lab, lab then. Okay, fine. But I have seen this before, Basil, on that note that um, you know, dentists will prep their own teeth and make their own shells out of bisacryl. Interestingly, I've seen that uh, on, on Facebook and whatnot, and then just use that on the day to, to, to reline. Re I have seen that, so. Yeah, you can do that. Um, not, again, you, you just, you're not relying on the lab, which is good. Any time a dentist can do more lab 
work and less reliant. I encourage that because I think that's also what's evolved. There's too much of a line between what a technician does and what a dentist does with temporaries. Okay, and too much we think dentist is intraoral, and technician is anything outside the mouth. So most, like often my appointments, I'm working outside the mouth with the temporary. So that's I would encourage people pour your own models, make your own temporaries. Okay, it just makes you less reliant on a technician, but also gives you more comfort in handling situations that you know nothing ever goes smoothly. Okay. And if you flummox the bit or you get something back from a technician and think, oh, it doesn't fit or I better add some acrylic, you don't want to think, oh, I better send it back to the technician. If you're a little bit familiar with waxing up, with pouring up a model, with using acrylic, modifying, you know, it'll get you out so many, you, your confidence grows and you, you know you can handle most situations. And when things go wrong, you don't get too flummoxed. So, yeah, I, I'd encourage any kind of temperatures you can make during between appointments, make your own temporaries, make your own shells. All It's all simple stuff to Amazing. do. Amazing. Basil, it's been absolutely brilliant having you on. You're one of my heroes and it's been so nice to, to speak to you and bring on the podcast. And, uh, you know, I'm actually going gonna, gonna to do this. I'm actually going to make my apex of my turban lower to, to signify how much more rejuvenated I feel from speaking in our conversation. So if you missed the beginning bit, guys, you have no idea why, why I mentioned my turban. Uh, if you were here from the beginning, I hope that made you chuckle. I thought turban recession was the same as gingival recession. I thought turban recession was the same as gingival recession. <laughs> well, I've recession. just done some surgery, so there we are. Um, so no, guys, uh, it was. Uh, I'm sure you agree, everyone. Uh, it was amazing. We got some thank yous and some love on Facebook, Basil. Uh, I'm going to make a little email infographic that I'll email everyone, just the key points, the key lessons that you shared today. But guys, remember, what we uh, um, said today, barely scratch the surface when it comes to all the different techniques and temporaries, different indications. Uh, I would definitely encourage you to look into Basil's course. So I'll send you a link in the email as well to check that out. He has got quite, you know, from, 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 from delegates that have been on it, it's not like hundreds of people. It's probably like 12 people. How many people? It's quite limited attendance. Yeah, yeah. we keep it to so 10 or 12 people. One of those courses where you want to get in early. So I will email you that when I email the uh, sort of infographic or guide or the key learnings. Uh, my favorite thing today was learning that I'm going to start using the cheaper polycarboxate cement, which I do already. I think I use uh, the Densply one, so not the Duralon. So there we are. I'm going to go even cheaper now. So thank you so much for that and everything. Basil, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good evening, my friend. And thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Jez. Well, there we have it, guys. As Basil said, don't worry about being half the dentist that he is. Be the best dentist that you can be. Be the full version of the dentist that you truly can be. So I love that sentiment. Do check out the show notes either below on YouTube or on the blog, which is protrusive.co.uk forward slash 122. So any of the episodes I've ever done, if you just do forward slash and then the number of the episode, you can get to the blog post, which usually has a lot more information, how you can learn from our guests. So for example, if you go to forward slash 122, you'll find all information about Basil's courses and all the things that he's up to, if he's teaching near you and how to learn more from him or his restorative programs. Stay tuned for the next few episodes. The next one's actually TMD and Botox. You know me, I couldn't go too long with having something TMD or occlusion related. So that's with Sheila and Guin. It's, it's a cracker. It answers all the key burning questions that we have when it comes to Botox and the use of it for the management of TMDs. And the one after that, oh my goodness, I've got Linda Greenwald on again. And this time we're discussing icon resin infiltration for white patches. So we're going to really make it crystal clear step by step how to use icon, how to charge appropriately for icon, how to know if your icon's going to work or not, right? That's a big question that I get asked on social media. And I'm still carving some time to figure out how I can get out Pasquale Venuti's series out to you. It's just taking a lot of time to do that. But thanks for sticking with me, guys. I really appreciate you listening all the way to the end. Thank you so much, my friend, and I'll catch you in the next one.